This could be the only thing I say tonight that all of us in the room can agree on. So I'll just voice what a treasure is our Cantor Barrack. There, I said it. I was sitting in a Pete's Coffee recently, staring into space, when I noticed the cutest baby propped up in her stroller. She was smiling, making adorable baby noises, and flirting. Her dad, I assume he was her dad, was sitting facing her stroller tapping away on his iPhone. She kept smiling, making faces and looking delicious. He kept tapping and scrolling, head bent down, so deeply engrossed in the images on his screen. I tried telepathically to convey to that young father, look up, look up. But at the same time, I knew that I was looking in a mirror. I know how often I have my head down while I tap and scroll. As I watched that father and baby daughter, I thought of all the times just in this past year when something precious or important was right in front of me. But I was looking down, down at my phone, down at my work, down at whatever trivial thing of the moment. I promise you, this sermon is not a screed against technology. I am a big fan, and smartphones have become part of the daily existence. Not for everyone in this sanctuary, but for large numbers of us. In fact, I'm thinking that right about now, you might be thinking that this could be a good moment just to slip that phone out, <laughs> take a brief glance at your stocks, Google the giant score, check your Facebook. Now don't mishear me, I am not suggesting that you do these things right now, really put your phones away until the service ends. But. If it was technologically possible, I would give my entire sermon via text message. And the Torah's text message would simply say, look up. Dozens of times throughout the Torah, there is an instruction from God to look up. This happens all the time with Abraham. Abraham wasn't paying attention, but then the Torah tells us, he looked up and saw three messengers of God standing at the entrance to his tent. He was so sure he understood how to demonstrate faith in God, but then Torah tells us he looked up and saw a ram to sacrifice, never his son. Through countless examples, Torah teaches us that we often have to look up and sometimes we actually have to look deep within to find God in our lives. On this holiest moment, this holiest night with the gates still open, each one of us 
enters into the age-old Jewish practice called cheshbon hanefesh, which means an accounting of one's soul. But what it really is, is an invitation to each of us to look up and take note of what we have been missing, or to look deep within and consult our own conscience. And sometimes it means turning our gaze toward the very thing we do not want to see. Cheshbon HaNefesh entails a deeply personal self-exploration. How many of us have had moments like that Pete's dad who failed to notice and be present with his beautiful baby daughter? Or we only gave half an ear to a friend or family member. We were listening, but we were glancing at our texts. Or forgot to text your mom back. The most beautiful thing about Cheshbon HaNefesh is Judaism's call to us, look up. You're just a normal, flawed human being who makes a lot of mistakes throughout the year. At least work at being more present with the people who really matter in your life. Listen to them. Reach out to them. Write a letter. Call them. Text, not now. Call your mother. And then there are the world's many problems that swirl all around us while we blithely walk through our days. From persistent anti-Semitism to gun violence, there are so many issues. But this past year, I became aware that I had been paying far less attention than I realized to issues of racial inequality. First, I read Ta-Nehisi Coates' deeply thought-provoking book, Between the World and Me. In it, he addresses a letter to his 15-year-old son about the experience of systematized racism. I do not agree with everything in his book, but I do recommend that you read it and that we discuss it. Then this summer, I, together with Rabbi Rodich, his husband Fran, chose to join the NAACP's journey for justice, starting in Selma, Alabama. What you probably don't know about me is that I am not a protester or a marcher. I nearly always avoid these types of things, one, because I'm not sure how effective they are, and two, because the main message of the protest often gets co-opted by some other group's agenda. I am not a righty or a lefty. I like to hear the other side's view of things, and I believe that most social issues are complex. As a rabbi, I focus much of my energy on specifically Jewish issues like anti-Semitism, Israel, the deplorable BDS movement. And just trying to get more Jews to be more Jewish. But Jewish values, especially the Jewish concern for the most vulnerable in our society, 
compel me to raise up my head and take note of who in our time is not being treated fairly. Elie Wiesel teaches, a Jew must be sensitive to the pain of all human beings. A Jew cannot remain indifferent to human suffering, whether in other countries or in our own cities or towns. The mission of the Jewish people has never been to make the world more Jewish, but to make it more human, writes Wiesel. But to make it more human, first, you have to look up and see it. I am telling you, on this issue, I have been the Pete's dad, looking down, engrossed in the thing right in front of me, but oblivious to so much around me. I laid low immediately after Ferguson because, I don't know, who is to say who's telling the truth? I chose not to watch the Eric Garner video. I have so much respect for police officers who put their lives on the line for all of us every day. But as a news pundit recently said, you can truly grieve for every officer who has been lost in the line of duty to this country and still be troubled by cases of police overreach. These two ideas are not mutually exclusive. You can have great regard for law enforcement and still want them to be held to high standards. This is not easy for me to say, but I do not think that I am alone in having minimized this issue in my mind. We have a problem. And for this moment, I do not mean the problem of violence against African Americans, or mass incarceration, or lack of equal access to vote, or equal access to education or housing. Those are big problems, but they are not our biggest problem. Looking up, I see that nearly all of us with white skin are in denial about the scope of this problem. Even white Jews are in denial. Surely, if every African American who died violently this past year had been a Jewish American, can we doubt how we would have reacted? We can largely ignore racial inequality because although we are proud that a number of Jews in our community are Jews of color, most of us with white skin simply don't feel the problem day to day. And therefore, it's our choice to confront it, deny it, or ignore it. We even blame the entire police force for it while letting our own selves off the hook. Or we find fault with the victim. Well, we say, Michael Brown had criminal intent. That 14-year-old girl being thrown around at the pool party by police, she was probably doing something she shouldn't have been doing. Sam DuBose must have been killed by that Cincinnati officer because of something he did. Sandra Bland should have put out that cigarette. 
We have a river of explanations for each and every killing that takes place. But the killings of African-American citizens that we hear about and read about in the media are a fraction of the daily violence against African-Americans. It's not that we are bad people. We are good people who care. I think we just don't want to see it. We have a problem. And as Jews who have been persecuted while others looked down, we have a responsibility. I think that the concept of white guilt is a useless, unproductive thing. My colleague, Rabbi Ken Chazen, says, it's not our fault that we were born into a system that advantaged us, but it will surely be our fault if we neglect to use our advantage to make things more fair because we choose to remain sightless. This is really hard for me to say, but I think we must admit it's also easier for those of us who, with white skin to look away at the disproportionate numbers of people with black skin put behind bars for minor offenses while we, or so many of our white friends, smoke marijuana without having to worry about the legal consequences and get really great legal defense to get our white teenage kids off the hook for their crimes and misdemeanors. Large numbers of us, myself included, sidestep the whole problem of public school inequality because we told ourselves that for the sake of our children, we would put them in the finest public schools. I did that. I love private school education, and I am not disparaging it. But we have to admit, when we go the private school route, we avoid having to confront the reality that our 21st century schools really are largely segregated and unequal. Here in San Francisco, too, the statistics back it up. Well, I told you that this sermon was not a screed against technology. Well, neither is it a screed against pot, private schools, or people with white skin. Once we are willing to look at the problem in the face, there is an amazing amount we can do in partnership with our African-American brothers and sisters. One of the most powerful experiences I had marching side by side with African-Americans from around the country in Selma this summer was how much they want to engage with Jews. They were fascinated by the Torah. We carried a Torah um, every day. Uh, different rabbis carried it 860 miles. Would it be disrespectful if I also carried the Torah, asked a very muscular African-American young man? After several miles of carrying that Torah in 102 degree heat, I was very happy to give him the Torah. <laughs> With a huge smile, he said, I want a picture of me in the Torah so I can show my mother. 
One of my most important takeaways from that march was about how much progress we have made since the 1960s, yet how much more challenging it can be now to look up and see the systemic racism as it exists in our time. Amelia Boynton Robinson lived when racial injustice was truly black and white for all to see. In 1965, she was brutally beaten by state troopers as she and others marched peacefully across that bridge in Selma, Alabama. It was her heroism and the courage of others that paved the road for the Voting Rights Act that is now being weakened. On March 7th of this past year, Amelia Boynton Robinson went once more across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, this time age 103 and in her wheelchair, protected by our state troopers. Looking up at the very tall man who reached out, she took President Obama's hand and together they crossed that bridge. She died last month. Our very purpose as a Jewish people is to use our experience of hatred and discrimination to repair the world. How to effectively address racial inequality can get terribly complicated. Read Tanahasi Coates' essay in this week's Atlantic for a taste of that complexity. Though many will continue to deny the problem, I believe that collectively this congregation can make a powerful difference. I am so proud to announce the launch of the Congregation Emanuel Tzedek Council to make available opportunities for congregants to be a force for good on a variety of issues, including racial justice and violence against African Americans. Whether tutoring at Third Baptist Church or for the Jewish Literacy Coalition, or educating ourselves with great speakers, we can make an impact. There are actions we can take, such as promoting a California state bill that will end racial profiling in this state, or supporting the new magnet school in the Bayview neighborhood, or working to reduce daily gun violence. The Tzedek Council will help get us focused on what we can do and can actually make it easier for those of you who want to do something, but you don't know what to do. Esah enai el heharim. Oh God, let me lift my eyes up to see these problems in the context of the eternity of time represented by your mountains, the source of my strength. Looking up, we see that we can be more present to those around us and to the needs of the most vulnerable in our community. God, thank you for the power we have to make a difference. God, open our eyes and instill within us the courage we need to make ourselves and our world a better place. Thank you, God, simply for the ancient wisdom of Torah, expressed in two words, look up. Thank you. <laughs>